Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are WFMP LP Louisville Broadcasting here at 106.5 FM from the top of the historic Hayburn Building and live streaming to the world at forwardradio.org. We want to thank everybody who went to forwardradio.org throughout our pledge drive to give generously. If you didn't get a chance to do so, it's not too late to give. You can always donate to the station. It only takes $20 a day to keep this great community treasure broadcasting so consider how you can support us today at forwardradio.org and if you want to get involved you want to get behind the scenes or behind the microphones there's always a place for you here on your community radio station uh, so you can go to forwardradio.org and click on participate well what we do here on sustainability now uh, is bring in folks from around the community to learn more about what they're up to and i often like to interview candidates for office and i'm excited <laughs> to have one in the studio with me today i especially like getting candidates for races that maybe people are not aware of or talking about or don't know much about. Maybe you've seen a sign for this person and you're like, I didn't even know that was a race. So I think that's the case today because we're going to talk about district court today. And I'm my guest is Shannon Favre, who is a candidate for district court judge. Welcome, Shannon. Hi, it's good to be here. Yes, it's so good to have you here. Uh, if folks want to learn more about Shannon, they can go to her website. It's Favre, F-A-U-V. V-E-R forjudge.com and that's spelled out F-O-R judge.com. So Shannon's a mother an advocate and a fellow Peace Corps volunteer like me. Yay. Now you served in the 90s. Where did you serve again? 97, 98. I was in Morocco. In Morocco. Right. Oh fantastic. I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about that today <laughs> but um, you also are a graduate of UofL's Brandeis School of Law. Was that before or after the Peace Corps? It was after. That was actually why I became a lawyer was because when I was in Peace Corps, I found that it was hard to do the things you needed to do. Yeah. Because Peace Corps, you know, it just throws you in there. And it's yeah. kind of like if you're not, <laughs> if you don't think of a judicial system or a court system and you just get thrown in, you need help. And so that's why I decided to become a lawyer to help people. Well, I should ask, what kind of volunteer were you? Health and sanitation. Health and sanitation. But you had some dealing with the courts there? No. I, sorry. My family's all attorneys. Oh, I see. Okay. But I have a biology <laughs> background, actually. I was going to be a vet. Oh, interesting. Yes. Okay. But I decided after that I would be a lawyer to help people the way my family does. So. Uh, okay. So you came back and, to, and graduated from UofL School of Law and opened your own law practice. Mm -hmm. You've represented over 3,000 clients across Jefferson County. That is astounding. In this, I know. An 18-year career? Yes. And it's funny because I looked at this, like I looked in my database, and I'm like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> I'm like, it just doesn't, because that's a lot of people. But like, that I, is but, a lot. But I have. I mean, they're, they're, yes, I look, it's over 3,000, but... Wow. Yeah. For everywhere from traffic court up to the U.S. Supreme Court, yes. right? And we're, we'll talk about that today, too. But before we dive any more into <laughs> you, I want to just orient our listeners because... First of all, there is a primary election coming up on Tuesday, May 17th, and everyone yes. who is a registered voter here in Jefferson County, Kentucky, will see Shannon on your ballot, yes. right? And this is Kentucky District Court 30. It's one of 60 district courts in Kentucky, mm -hmm. and judges of the Kentucky District Courts are elected in nonpartisan elections. This is another reason why I think it can be particularly difficult for voters, because you can't just go with your, oh, I, it, I'll go with the Democrat, right? We, we don't 
don't know who these people are. I mean, they're not re- associated with a party, and it's nonpartisan. And they serve four-year terms and must run for re-election if they wish to serve again. So Shannon is running for a four-year seat, and she will be in the primary because anytime there's more than two candidates on the ballot for any of these judge seats, uh, the two with the highest number at the end of the primary will go on to the general election in November. Uh, and in this race, there are three candidates, and Shannon is one of them, Shannon Favre, along with Megan McDonald and Jacob Elder. Uh, now, another note for our listeners, Forward Radio is completely nonpartisan, nonpolitical. We don't endorse any candidates for office. I'm not having Shannon on because I'm endorsing her as a station, but we do favor and we endorse an informed electorate, and that's why we love to get candidates on the air, and we give equal airtime to anyone who wants it for a registered seat. So you can always get in touch with us at forwardradio.org if you're a candidate. We'd love to have you on the air. Anyway, (laughs) what what did I miss about this? Help us understand, first of all, district court. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is it and how does it work? District court is a court that you would most likely come into. It's traffic court, juvenile court, probate, mental incoherence court, that kind of thing. Uh, Small claims court. Family court? No. 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 Okay, separate thing. Okay. Yes. And I say it like that because I try to stay out of the family court (laughs) also. That's a whole different thing. But no, it's basically the first time anybody would come into the court system. So the idea is that you don't have to come back. You know, if they understand what's going on, most people only hear, I get out of jail. And they don't listen to the rest of it and they get in trouble for not paying the court costs or whatever. And then they have a warrant out for them later. And that's a whole different issue. Oh, okay. Okay, so how's district court? I, I learned all this when I was on jury duty. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> but most of our listeners maybe don't know. How does district court different from circuit court? Okay, most people come into district court because it's the lower court. It's the first time when you get arrested in jail, district court will actually set your bond. And then you may go to circuit court if you're in more trouble. Like, that's the higher court. Ah, Okay. Because you deal with misdemeanors, which are under a year in jail as a potential. Anything over that is actually a felony and it probably end up in circuit court unless you pled out something in district court. Oh, okay. Okay. So how many district court judges are there? In Jefferson County? Yeah. 17. 17 of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they're not all up for election. You won't see 17 on your ballot this year. You will see in the fall because even if they're unopposed, they still have to be on the ballot. Okay. So th- you will see them all. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The fall ballot, at my understanding, is going to be front and back two pages. Oh, my goodness. Every judge in the state <laughs> runs every eight, for eight years. Okay. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot to take in, and uh, that's why we, we have such an important role here here on Forward Radio to help introduce you to some of these candidates. So you've taken cases all the way to the Supreme Court, <laughs> yes. and we'll talk about that specific case. But why why are you running for this lower district court judge seat then? It's kind of the same reason I became a lawyer after Peace Corps. I want to help people who don't have a voice mm. in any system, and that's usually where people come in. So the first time you come in because you got pulled over for a traffic ticket or it's juvenile court, your kid's in trouble, small claims court, you know, that kind of thing. It's anything that the general public was probably going to come into at some point, you're going to be in the court system. Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of where you do most of your work day to day is in district court. Yes. All right. So anything else about why you became a lawyer uh, that, that would help our listeners understand where you're coming from? Uh, your family were, were lawyers, right? Yes. Did they bring home great stories about things? And you were like, yeah, I want to do that too. Actually, no. <laughs> it was the opposite. Um, my mom's visually impaired and she took the bar when I was 10 and they didn't have reader things then. You ha- I had to read my mom her law books 
and I did not want to do that. Like I was yeah. reading them as a child. I'm like, this Ooh. is not fun. Mm. This is not what you want to do. This is dry, like eating sand. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Huh. So what changed? I said Peace Corps did, actually, because yeah. I wanted to help people. And because my family is lawyers, I think that's a noble profession where you can help people. And that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, do you work with, a, you work with your own law office, yes. right? Do you have partners in that? I've had associates that worked for me before at different times. Um, but I actually started my own practice the day I got sworn in because I had a two-year-old and I was pregnant, so I wasn't going to go work for somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> one nice thing maybe about lawyering is you, you can, can, do that. can do that kind of thing. Right? Yes, because my kids are now 17 and 20, and I have missed like four or five field trips ever. Yeah. Because that was important. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, that's good. That's good that you're able to do some work-life balance while lawyering. But lawyering's not easy, right? This is quite a lot of work. I hear from my other lawyer friends, right? You have to find something that distresses you. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So how do your clients find you as a lawyer? Well, since I've been doing this for so long, there were all referrals from other attorneys or other clients. I don't advertise like that. At the beginning, I did, you know, because you have to kind of. But uh, it's all just referrals. Wow. And do you have more coming to you than you can handle? Yes. Even before I started running, I would have to send stuff out because more than I can take. Like I was at the office for an hour before I came in. Yeah. And I had four people call and a couple emails from old clients too. So, yes. Wow. (laughs) That sounds like a lot. But you refer then people on to other lawyers, I would imagine, that you you feel good about and trust, right? right? Mm Mm-hmm. So coming from the perspective of a lawyer, you interact with judges all the time, right? Yes. And what do you see as could be better in the judicial system that you would like to work on? Well, the seat I'm running in is an open seat, so I'm not running against a person. Because normally if you're running against a judge, it's because you don't think they're doing a good job. So, yeah. But I'm running in an open seat, so okay. there's nobody there right now. Somebody retired? or They're running a higher court. Oh, okay. So the seat is opened up. Right. So getting back to just in general, dealing mm-hmm. with judges, what what do you respect in a good judge? One that listens when they come in, because it's kind of like the first time you go to district court, it's like like a catacall or herding cats. Like if you don't know what's going on, you don't know what's going on. So you have to have somebody explain it to you. And if you don't have an attorney, the judge will be the one talking to you. So I think the best judge I've heard recently, it wasn't even in Jefferson County. I was out in, the, out in the state. But the woman obviously had a stroke, the defendant. And the judge made sure that she understood the plea that she was taking. Because yeah. she could go to jail later if she didn't follow the regulations that she agreed to. Wow. So, and like I said, because the woman obviously had a stroke, the judge wanted to make sure she understood. And she was articulate about what was going on. So yeah. it took a long time. But... Everybody understood what was going on. Yeah, I feel like the courts have more than they can handle, and there's never enough time. Is that how it feels like to you? Well, the last two years, I would not. You know, that's this is different. Yeah. Um, but things do take a long time sometimes. But sometimes it's better for the people to pass it for a little while and just stay out of trouble because that shows they're not getting in more trouble. Yeah. Kind of thing. But yes, you usually want to get done sooner rather than later just because you're done. Because if you've never been in court before, you don't want to have to keep coming back or have it over your head. Yeah. And I heard a statistic recently that if you are in jail, even for like over the weekend, you're in jail and you haven't done anything yet, you know, they, you're not guilty. Right. <laughs> um, but those three days can cause you to get evicted, lose your child, all those things that can happen only take three days. Which is why bail, there's so much issue. Mm-hmm. So many people are getting active around 
a bail because it seems like if you can afford to bail yourself out, then you don't face those penalties right. we were just talking about. And so it, it seems to compound a lot of our marginalized populations. It just get, it makes more problems for them because they can't simply afford the bail that others might be able to. Right. Right? But are judges involved at that level? I guess judges are involved in setting bail, yes. right? And, and certainly that would happen at the district court level too. Yes. The district court is where you see the judge if you're in jail. Or if you just get a ticket and you go to district court. Yeah. So I'm sure there's guidance about how bail is set, but can you tell us more about that piece of it? They have some software that I don't know the name of it, but it's come up um, that like rates you if you've never been arrested, your history, blah, blah, blah. You know, how likely are you not to come back? But statistically, 88 to 92% of people will come back with no bail over them. They will just come back because wow. they're supposed to. Wow. It's the same statistic if you have to post bond. It's the same numbers. Those people will still show up. Huh. So, I don't know. Is there? Do judges have particular philosophies about how they give bail? Is that something you could talk about? No, because there's not a number. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> the idea, and legally we have to post a, an amount if somebody's arrested in Kentucky. Not the federal system, the state system. But you have to figure out what number would, the idea is to make sure that they will come back. Yeah. You know, because they haven't been found guilty. Now, it, we're not talking about more serious crimes. That's that's a different part of that. But for most people, they will come back anyway. So that's what we're looking at. So we have things like home incarceration, which you put the bracelet called the watch. Um, they put it on your ankle, and then you can go to work and go home and all that stuff, and they just know where you are. And that is actually still being in jail. Statistic, like you're still giving credit for the time you're in jail. So Okay. And you can't go to work? No, you can. You just have oh. to have a work schedule that they can verify. Oh, okay. But it's all now, because everything with, with cell phones, they can all do it that way. Okay. So that might be a more, I don't know, compassionate solution for people? Yes, but it still costs you money. Ah, it costs you money if you're on it. Interesting. Yeah. Whereas being in prison or in jail, I should say, doesn't cost you money. Not technically. <laughs> Right. It takes away your earning power, but, yes. but you don't have to pay fees here or something right. like that. Right, but you do have to pay a release on your own recognizance fee in Jefferson County, $25. But still, if you don't have $25, that's yeah. a whole different problem. So. Yeah. I'm speaking today with one of our candidates who's going to be appearing on your ballot on the primary coming up on Tuesday, May 17th. Her name is Shannon Favre, candidate for district court judge right here in Jefferson County. Every registered voter in Jefferson County will find Shannon on their ballot. You can learn more about her at favreforjudge.com. That's F-A-U-V-E-R. F-O-R-Judge.com. Uh, and we should mention that you don't just have to vote on Tuesday, May 17th. You can vote early in person uh, on the Thursday through Saturday prior to that Tuesday election. So that's May 12th, 13th, and 14th. You can vote at six different locations in Jefferson County. Uh, you can vote in, in Jefferson Town at the Jeffersonian on Taylorsville Road. You can vote in West Louisville at 18th and Ollie at the Kentucky Center for African American Heritage. You can vote at Broadbent Arena at the Kentucky Exposition Center. Uh, you can vote out at the Sun Valley Community Center on Bethany Lane. 
uh, Triple Crown Pavilion on Plantside Drive and Mary Queen of Peace on Dixie Highway. So those six locations will be available for early in-person voting May 12th, 13th, and 14th if you're not available on the day of the primary, May 17th. Uh, and uh, there, again, there are three candidates in this particular race for district court, along with Shannon, Megan McDonald, and Jacob Elder. Um, so this is your first time running for any, I, do you even call this a political office? I well, don't know. <laughs> running for office. As <laughs> running for office, right? Well, by the way, though, if you're 18 by the election in November, you can vote in the primary. <gasps> Really? Yes. So even if you're a 17 year old now, but you'll be 18 yes, in November, because you... my kid can vote for me, because they're oh not going to be 18 till the fall. <laughs> that is cool. So you just go ahead and register to vote. He's already registered. Yes. And you, you might not even be 18 yet, but that's cool. Okay, yeah. good to note. Okay. That's that is the state of Kentucky, and I think in Indiana, but I'm not positive. But yeah, yeah. Indiana, definitely Kentucky. Well, and this brings up another issue about who gets the right to vote in Kentucky. And, of course, there's issues around felons Mm -hmm. having getting their their rights restored to vote. I feel like there was some progress on that. There has been the last few years um, before you could never get your felony expunged. Um, Now you can most. Well, if it's one felony and depending on what you did, you may be able to get your rights back. And they also changed some other things where some things will disappear on their own, which didn't, never happened before. Oh, okay. That's good. Yes. That's good. A little bit of progress there. Mm-hmm. And um, you can go to the secretary's, you can go to kysos.gov and register to vote right there. Okay. KYSOS, Secretary of State, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, don't, if you're in a drowning boat, don't go there. But if you want to vote. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a total different issue. <laughs> go to KYSOS.gov, yes. I imagine. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Cool. Well, those are good little tips. Uh, we see we're already doing all kinds of education. Again, this is a nonpartisan uh, race for, for district court judge. Uh, and um, let's talk a little bit about. Mm-hmm your time in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. That must have been something. When did that happen? <laughs> well, it's coming up in a couple of days as far as the date, but uh, it was actually in 2015. So we went up there. Uh, it was a marriage equality case. The Kentucky case was my first civil rights case I'd ever filed. Wow. Yes. Um, I had no idea how much it was going to take up my life for two years. <laughs> two years from the date we filed to the, we got there was actually the decision. So that was kind of cool. Did it start? It didn't start at U.S. Supreme Court, right? It started at some lower court. Well, it started here in Jefferson County, yes. And actually, not the Hayburn building, but the federal building down the street. And actually, now you file virtually, So, but we still went down to do it in person. So, you know, because that's kind of cool. Yeah. But um, we filed because they had filed a case that had been ruled on by the Supreme Court on June 26, 2013, that recognized a specific marriage for tax purposes, but it didn't cover everybody else. So I think every attorney in the country is like, huh, they're asking somebody to file. So we filed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like a little hint to the public to please file. Hmm. Yes. Okay, so this was before gay marriage had been legalized, or give remind us of the context at that okay. time. Okay, um, some states were looking at it. Some states were like California let you do it, and then they shut it down. Some things like we're going like that. Kentucky had a constitutional amendment that had enacted in 2004 to make it illegal for anybody other than a man and woman to marry each other. So that's what we were looking at. But when the Windsor case, which was the one in front of us, 
the June 26, 2013 case was about tax for somebody who passed away. Their spouse said was going to have to pay some ridiculous amount of taxes just because they weren't recognizing the marriage. Oh, really? Yes. I think it was $275,000 or something like that. Whoa. Yes. So the Windsor case was going on. And at that point, I actually filed a bankruptcy case for a gay couple because I wanted the, their marriage to get recognized in bankruptcy court. And that was actually going on before we'd filed the marriage case. So I was already in that kind of case, going on that kind of thing at that point, because I knew what the law was look, going to look like at some point. So I just got ahead of it, I guess. Oh, okay. okay. But they were not the plaintiffs we had for the marriage case, because nobody wants their bankruptcy to become part of a marriage, like a national case. So, <laughs> so I had to find other plaintiffs for that. But yes. Okay, so what what level do you file? You don't file at the district court level for this kind of thing. No. The bankruptcy court before was obviously in the federal court. Um, We actually filed in the federal court. We were suing the state of Kentucky to recognize the marriage. I got you. I got you. Okay. And you lost that case and then appealed it, or what happened? Actually, no, we didn't. We won. Woohoo! (laughs) Woohoo! Judge Hayburn had ruled that we had to recognize the marriage certificates from other states or other countries. That was on Valentine's Day, 2014. Oh, wow. Two, well, I'm sorry, that was two days before Valentine's Day. And then on Valentine's Day, we filed another case to allow people to get married. And that was the love case, was was the name of our plaintiff at that point. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> yes. And so he merged those two cases together. Oh, you can do that? They can do that. <laughs> it's called intervening in a case. You can become another part of a case. Huh. And so at that point, there was... They were supposed to start issuing marriage licenses. This, so we thought that was going to happen. The state of Kentucky, we thought so for about 20 minutes. And then the governor said, no, we're going to appeal it. Oh, wow. So your plaintiffs were a couple that were not married in Kentucky? The first couple was married, yes, in Canada. Oh, in Canada. Okay. okay. The, and so we actually had four couples in that Four different couples, obviously, not to marry to each other. Four different couples. <laughs> um, they marry in other states or another country. And then the second case, we had two couples that wanted to get married in Jefferson County. So Okay. And so those all got merged into one case yes. that then went up to... The what? Sixth Circuit, which is a higher court, um, when we, we won, but they appealed it. So we end up in the Sixth Circuit, which is Cincinnati, which covers four states. And notoriously, the Sixth Circuit is kind of conservative, just is. But while this was going on, there were state cases across the country. Like I had a little map. I was coloring the ones that were ruling this way, that way. And then it just sat there at the Sixth Circuit for a few months. And everybody else was getting the right to marry, but not the Sixth Circuit. And then there was a, a comment from the Supreme Court. Well, nobody's at, we need somebody to rule the other way. It's called a split in the circuit. We need somebody to rule against the cases for it to get to the Supreme Court. And so the next week we got a decision. And then we went to the Supreme Court, basically. Wow. And I imagine you must have waited a long time to be heard in front of the Supreme Court. Well, we filed the petition around Christmas. Um, we were there in March. Okay. And they got a ruling in June. So actually it was actually pretty quick. Yeah, it is, actually. Wow. Uh, so tell us about that experience going before the Supreme Court. Well, I didn't argue it. There are specific people that do that. Okay. It's right. there because they know what the what to say, what the questions are going to be. This is their job. That's what they do. Yeah. There's like, I think, 20 people that appear in front of the Supreme Court regularly. So you have them do it for you, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> and were there cases from other states also combined in well, this? Or? Yes, those four states. They merged us all together. Yeah. But everybody else had asked for a little thing. We asked for everything. Some people, death certificates, marriage certificates, something like that. Because I just, I asked for everything. <laughs> 
So we, I think that's part of it because they end up having the right to marry and the recognition as two different parts of the case, but that was both of our cases. So in the end, the Supreme Court ruled how? That everyone that is an legal adult can get married to whatever person they want, that, you know, no matter their gender. No matter their gender. So and, love one. And all, love one. That's so great. And all legal rights that heterosexual mm-hmm. couples would get homosexual couples were at access to right tax purposes they could adopt their own child because a lot of people could not recognize the other child's the other like if they adopt their children only one of the parents had been able yeah. birth certificate so that that was the biggest thing for most of the clients is just being able to get recognition of their own children at that and, point gosh yeah and, and then taxes death taxes like all the fundamental inevitable things of life right, right. like the the it was just such a crazy time that you could legally marry or things like that in some places in the country or in the world, right? And then not have access to the fundamental rights that everybody else does just because of the gender of that person. Right. Uh, so uh, th- I honor you for taking that step and doing that work of, of really changing that. I mean, things have changed a lot in yes. the U.S. Mm-hmm. in the last decade uh, for LGBTQ plus folks. And now we're fighting about transgender, right? And the... <laughs> Those issues are coming up at the state level, federal level, too. I don't know if there's anything in front of the courts about it mm-hmm. right now. So, wow. I'm going to stay away from that. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's not likely to happen in district court, but I still should stay away from anything that's going to talk about my opinion on any of this stuff oh, when I'm running for office. I understand. So. I understand. Okay. This was incredible. You, and you just spoke about this experience of going in front of the Supreme Court back at your alma mater, right? Yes. The Brandeis School of Law. Uh, what was the context there? Who were you talking to? Um, it was Lambda Legal from the law school had us come in, and they had me and Greg Burke, who's a named plaintiff, and one of the other attorneys on the case came in and talked to them, and we answered questions just like kind of like this. Yeah. But for law students, they want to know, like, how does this work? You know, kind of thing, like logistically, how does this work? Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. So Lambda Legal, tell us about that organization. Lambda Legal is kind of what I usually say as a shorthand is it's kind of like the ACLU, but just for LGBTQ people. Okay. So it's the same concept. Okay. So if you have an issue, you call them. I'm speaking today with Shannon Favre. She's a candidate for district court judge. You'll see her on your ballot if you're voting in Jefferson County on the primary on May 17th, which, again, you can vote early uh, Thursday through Saturday prior to that, May 12th, 13th, and 14th at six different locations in the county. Uh, And these judgeships are for four years. They're four-year terms, and they are nonpartisan primaries. There are three candidates uh, running for this particular seat, Shannon Favre, my guest today, along with Megan McDonald and Jacob Elder. I know you can't... Who are these other people in this race? Can you say anything about them? I know this Jacob had, I think it's from Fancy Farm. Okay. Like, And then Megan's from here. But okay. It, you know, I run into them occasionally when we're out campaigning, but no, I don't really know them. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to have them it's, on. Somebody. It's not personal. You yeah. know, there's nothing to do with, like I said, it's an open seat. So it's not like I have an issue with them or, right. or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But you're trying to build a base. How are you campaigning? How does this work when you're campaigning for judge? <laughs> do you go door to door or what do you do? 
I think I will be doing that later right now because I'm still practicing law, obviously, every day. But I'm calling my clients, uh, the 3,000 clients I've had, <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. And they, they do stuff for me. You know, they put up yard signs and that kind of thing. And uh, just also trying to consolidate my cases because I, if I get it on the bench, I'm going to have to be passing my cases off to other yeah. people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, how would your life change if you became a judge versus a lawyer? <laughs> well, when I started practicing, I said I had a baby and I was pregnant, and now they're seventeen, twenty. So my life's changing a lot anyway. So I, you know, I won't have to go pick them up from school or whatever. So yeah. weirdly, I will have I'll have more free time actually as a judge than I have had really? as a parent running a law firm. So yeah. that's I know that's kind of weird, but <laughs> realistically, you know. <laughs> I like regular hours, but pretty much. I mean, and then every 17 days you're on call for 24 hours for when the cops are calling for warrants and that kind of stuff. Oh, is that how it works? Yes. So the judge, all 17 of the district court judges take turns being on call. Is that what it's? Yes. Oh, wow. So that's your day. Oh, oh, wow. (laughs) So you have to kind of make decisions on the spot about things like, what did you say, warrants? and Warrants, um, yes, probable cause, like to go... Issue warrants. Huh. Um, now, the one that's come up a lot that it was in circuit court, that's a different one. So Okay. All right. But how do you make that decision, I wonder? Uh, you're, you're just dealing with the information. That you're given. That you're given from the police, right? Right. Now, that is one of the reasons you need people on the bench who have had a lot of experience. Because if you don't know and have never worked in the court system, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, I would imagine. Yes. So so you have 18 years of doing this in the trenches. Yes. And have a pretty good feeling for how things work. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons why people would want to think about supporting your candidacy. Yes. Uh, any, anything else you could say to potential voters about why they should support you? Well, one of the reasons I want to be a judge is to make sure that everyone is treated with dignity and respect. And sometimes they're not. People are cattle call through the court system, and that's not right for anybody. Mm. I think sometimes it's just the idea is to get them in and out, and they're not really listening. Yeah. And you want to be heard. Yeah. I mean, it may be just your traffic ticket, but if it's your traffic ticket and you can use your license, you need to know what's going on and, and understand what happens. Yeah. And what's the situation for people who can't afford lawyers in our district court? The judge will ask you questions about your financial situation and then can appoint a public defender. So that you, you're not, anybody, is it, if it's anything that can send you to jail. You're eligible for a public defender. Oh, only if jail time is possible. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, and are there enough public defenders? No. <laughs> no, they're not. Yeah. And we work them really hard. Yeah. They're really busy. So. Yeah. But they are real attorneys because people are like, I need a real attorney. Those are real attorneys and they're in court every day. So they do a good job. Wow. They just have a lot of clients. So is there anything a judge can do to be more sensitive to that situation when there's a, you know, overstretched public defender involved? I'm not sure, but one of the things I want to do when I'm on the bench is that we need a homeless court. We have a drug oh, court. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. Okay. Good. Yeah. What's a homeless court? Well, we don't have one yet, um, but we have <laughs> drug court and things like that. We have specialty courts, so we're allowed to do that, or somebody just runs that court. Judge Stephanie Burke runs drug court. I think she's had it for like eight or so years, and so people go through the that her court for drug court, and they graduate but when they're you know they're clean and sober but they're getting services not jail and i think that's what we need for homeless court because a lot of people don't need jail they need services yes so what kinds of reasons would someone who's homeless end up in front of a district court for 
Well, if they were ever in it at some other point and they did not pay the fines, they now have a warrant, they could get arrested because they got into an argument with somebody, even if it's not violent or anything. Um, trespassing. Yeah. Because you, know, you don't have someplace to go. Yeah. Um, we're not, I don't think we're doing pain handling anymore, so that's fine. We're not arresting them anymore for that. So that's good. But things like that. Or you could get arrested because if somebody thinks you're being rowdy because, you know, you're high or whatever. And, again, they need services. They don't need jail. Yeah. So if they are high, they might up in, end up in drug court? They could. So, yes, I'm supposed to talk to Judge Burke next week about trying to figure out how that's going to work. So. Yeah. Because I want to, when I get on the bench, I want to be ready to go. I don't want to be starting after the election. I want to know what I need to be doing as soon as I get up there. Right. So you talk about this existing model of a drug court. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of at the whim of the judge that there is such a court? Like if this person lost their seat, there would be no more drug court? Or how well, hopefully someone else would take it over, but yes. Okay. Um, it is because it becomes part of it. I said, do I have a more regular schedule if I'm a judge? But that would be my thing, and I would have to make sure, like figure out the funding for it, figure out all this other stuff, do it. But, you know, kind of like Peace Corps where you go in the community, you figure out what they need, and you do that. That's just how it works. Yeah. So how are you aware of the need for a homeless court uh, in Jefferson County specifically? I mean, obviously we see that homelessness is an issue, but in terms of the court specifically, what have you seen? Well, I've seen people come and get arrested for being on the street, not so much since COVID, but before that it happened pretty regularly. And, you know, people are dying in our jail, so we don't want them there. We want them to get out, get treatment, go where they need to be. The services need to be there. And they are there, but we just don't, they're not usually aligned together. You know, like the services for one organization don't really talk to the services of the other organization. You need to know where those are and be, work it out together. Mm-hmm. And I guess the same is true, not just in court, but even before you get to court with yes. the police, right? So, I mean, we have all these issues of someone with a gun responding to an issue that doesn't really necessarily need that kind of intervention, right? So what do you think about those kinds of models for policing? I know it's not really your field, but... Mm-hmm. What do you think about those kinds of ideas? Well, another thing is, I don't. you probably didn't know this, the Fulvers are cops. Um, my mom's family is the lawyers. Oh, okay. So I grew up with cops, too. So to me, that's just, it's you know, you become an officer because you want to help people. And that's the idea. Unfortunately, they're not trained for that. They're not well, trained sure. to deal yeah. with mental health issues, that kind of stuff. We need the training to make sure that they're doing handling that, not arresting you because you called in, but you have a gun. We don't want you to get arrested when you weren't doing anything wrong because that's happened before. Yeah, yeah. Or a couple of people have gotten arrested when they, they, they are, they're like deaf, and so they're not responding to the cops, and that's an issue, too. So oh, we need, wow. the cops need to be trained to handle things like that, too. Wow, deaf. I hadn't even thought about that, mm-hmm. right? Of course. Because you're not responding. <laughs> <laughs> you could think of all these reasons why it gets escalated when it doesn't need to. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, what happens on the streets with, with cops, I'm sure also those same sort of patterns can get replicated in the court system. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's where the the whole idea for a homeless court in Jefferson County Mm -hmm. would, would come from. Yes. Um, What do you think it would take to establish that? I mean, you mentioned funding. Well, I'm looking, there are a couple other cities in Texas actually that have homeless court basically. So I'm looking into that um, on my to-do list and see how it works. Um, I've also talked, reached out for some of the organizations here to go ahead and start working on trying to figure out how it's coming in because we have open, we have organizations that can help right now, but they're just not aligned with the court system. So you have to know who to call and how to do all that kind of stuff because there is funding for most things. You just have to find it. 
So these may not even be government right. services. These may be nonprofit or private right. services that are available to people, but they have no connection with the existing court right now. Right. And there's no reason why they would have. Because yeah. most people try to stay away from the court system. They don't realize that <laughs> maybe it, it can be helpful if you're there or that they know where to send you kind of thing. <laughs> Well, that makes a ton of sense. So, mm-hmm. so there aren't any homeless courts in Kentucky. Not that I know of. Okay, so. this would be a first. Yes. Well, that's a pretty innovative funding. I mean, uh, whole idea, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. innovative funding would be a part of it. But that's a pretty exciting reason, maybe, to support Shannon mm-hmm. as a candidate uh, for, for to create a homeless court here in Jefferson County. Uh, anything else you want to say about the race? You've got you've got another ten minutes here or so. <laughs> anything else uh, you want to share about your background or why people should support you? Well. Basically, and a lot of times they can't look up judicial candidates because there's just not a lot. I know. I struggled to find. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Not your fault. But because I have been doing this for so long, for 18 years, you can actually Google me. um, And whether or not people agree with the kind of cases I've taken, at least I'm doing my job. I represent people that you may not like, but that's my job. You know, that's what we do. You have to be represented on both sides for the system to work. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to get something's going to happen to you that's not going to be what you wanted if you're not represented by somebody. So they just need a voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine there's all kinds of situations where, I mean, you deal with people who both admit and don't admit to guilt, right? Right. When you go to district court, <laughs> even if you were going to say guilty, you say not guilty because the system's not designed for you to plead guilty right then. They want to make sure that everything's the way it's supposed to be. Explain that a little more. Okay, so like, say that you had a traffic ticket, and you come in, and you're just like, okay, guilty. No, no, no. No, no, the system's not where, the system's designed for, at least right now, because there's so many people, you just say, not guilty, you get another date, and then you try to work out something between those dates. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, that's actually one thing I wanted to ask you more about. How does the, not all cases go to trial, right? No, most things never go to trial. Most things don't. Yes. So what is the role of a judge? If you were to become district judge, what is the role of a judge when it's not a trial situation? Well, there's things called probable cause hearings when they decide if what the cops have brought to them or the prosecutors have, if that's enough to go forward. So that's a probable cause hearing. It's probable cause to go forward with the charge, things like that. If, you know, hearings about whether or not the evidence is good, that kind of thing. Like I said, this is still the district, the lower court, the higher court's different. They have more of those kinds of things. But most people will never, they'll just take a, and that's one thing is people, if they can't afford an attorney, a lot of times they'll take a plea just to get yeah. out of it and get it done, which they don't realize what's going to happen to the record. You know, you take a plea to get out of jail, but you haven't really listened and you can't vote. You might, you never have a gun again. You know, like there's specific things that go with that. And if you didn't, so no one explained it to you. That's a problem. That's wow. why you have to get be represented by an attorney. Wow. You know, even a private attorney or a public attorney, but you have to be represented or you're going to miss something. Yeah. So when they take a plea bargain, mm-hmm. is a judge involved then? The in, judge has to okay it. Has to okay it. But it's, an, it's a lawyer for the... Who's the other lawyer on the other the side? The prosecutor. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Is you're sitting down with those two lawyers to figure out a a deal, right? A plea deal, right? And then it gets okayed by a judge, right? Now the person, the plaintiff has or the defendant has to say it's okay, obviously. And that's one thing is when you come in to district court, there's a sheet, there's a guilty sheet where we ask if you understood what you're doing, basically. Okay. Huh. So you know, did you? Did anybody make you take the plea? Did are you hired? I always say higher stone. That's not what it says. It says, are you on medication, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's the same kind of concept. Yeah. 
So that way, the way I do it to the clients when I'm talking to them as an attorney, not as a judge, is to make sure they're listening to me, not just going, okay, okay, okay. I'm like, are you a higher stone right now? Oh, no. I'm like, okay, see, they're listening. Because otherwise, if you're checking the sheet, you know. Yeah, yeah. But if you, if but, you just want to get through it and you're checking the boxes and not really paying attention. Yes, but, can... but when you take a plea with the plea sheet, you actually, the judge will ask you, if you understood all this, you know, did you have any, was your, basically was your attorney, do you feel like your attorney was competent kind of yeah, question too? Yeah. And do you understand that if you take a plea, you most things you can't appeal? That's a thing too, you know, because you agreed to it. There's no appeal for pleas. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, what about dealing with people who have some sort of situation where they, they can't really be trusted to speak for themselves, whether it's mental illness, dementia, minors? Does the d- district court deal with minors? Yes. Um, then we have a juvenile court. Um, usually the parents are involved in that. We take the plea, and there's public defenders that handle those, too, because a lot of people in juvenile court, the kids, they can't afford an attorney, so they have a public defender. They have specifically public defenders for juvenile court. That's where they practice exclusively to make sure that everything's going on the way it's supposed to. Most juvenile court, if you get in trouble once, it's not that bad. It's the getting in trouble again thing that'll get you in trouble because it's actually sealed. You won't see it once you're 18. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, and are district court judges in that juvenile court, or is yes. that a whole separate system? No, that's one of the places we practice. Okay. Along with probate and other misdemeanors. But every six months, juvenile you can be any district court can rotate, judge rotate into that courtroom. Sometimes you'll stay there for a while if you like doing that, or like probate court. We have judges that stay there for a while. But the idea is that you we, we can do any of them. Like, say one of the judges is out sick today, I can ha- go handle that. So, you know, we all should know how to do all of those because you could be in those cases. Okay. There must be training for judges. Yes, they do that. It's like (laughs) continuing legal education classes. We have students every year, but there's specific – there's judge judge school is what we call it. Judge school. Judge school. I think they just did it last week. Is that where you get the robes and everything? No, you have to get your own robes, unfortunately. (laughs) No, the robes aren't state issue, though, for crying out loud. No, but I actually bought one because I officiated a wedding, and it looks kind of like an RBG robe. I'm like, I might wear that. (laughs) But I also told people, even though I do have a family Bible, when I get sworn in, I'm going to use it, the Constitution. Oh, uh, can you do that? Yeah. Okay, why not? Why not? All right. Because the Constitution is a law. That's what I will use. There you go. I need to get a nice one, though. It's posted like a piece of paper with the Constitution. That's not so cool. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get a leather-bound one. Yes. <laughs> well, that's great. Thanks so much for sharing uh, so much. This gave us such a great window into what goes on in district court. And and, and I know people are going to be confused when they op- see that multi-page ballot right and it's division seven just you know okay division seven of district court 30 which is all of jefferson county but everybody in jefferson county will be having the opportunity to vote for this seat Uh, again the primary is on may 17th and you will see shannon favor on that primary ballot because there are two other candidates megan mcdonald and jacob elder uh running for this particular seat too uh but we encourage everybody to get registered is it too late to register i think they have another week or so you might have another week okay uh get registered get ready to vote consider uh doing it in advance everybody's welcome to vote early now in person may 12th 13th and 14th uh at six different locations in the county uh but uh, if you want to learn more about our guest today shannon favor you can go to favorforjudge.com f-a-u-v-e-r-f-o-r judge.com thank you so much for 
even considering running for office. I mm. know cannon painting is no cakewalk. I wouldn't mm. want to do it. Um, but thank you for, for your service and uh, good luck in the race. Thank you. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, your community action calendar. Yes, there's stuff going on this week that you can get involved with for sustainability. So stay tuned. sounds of apple latin behind me now we're back here on sustainability now with me justin mogg many thanks to apple latin for giving us permission to use their local music in the podcast versions of our programs which you can always find archived at forwardradio.org and you can learn more about them at AppleLatin.com. speaking of thanks boy i want to thank everybody who stepped up during our fifth anniversary pledge drive by pledging online, mailing in checks, handing us cash at our birthday party on Saturday, we were able to exceed our goal of raising $5,000. And we're so grateful to you. That means security in the next year. And we can keep bringing you this kind of programming. If you didn't get a chance to donate, go to forwardradio.org. You can always support us anytime. All right, my friends, I hope you have your calendars out and your pencils ready because it is a busy week for sustainability. It's only going to happen now. If you all get involved. Coming up on Tuesday, April 12th at 4 p.m., the University of Louisville is holding its virtual sustainability roundtable focused on the Urban Bird Treaty Program. You can join the UofL Sustainability Council for the very last in their spring sustainability roundtable series. The speaker will be UofL biology professor Micah Abelins Abels discussing the Urban Bird Treaty Program, which supports city partners in conserving birds and their habitats while providing opportunities for people in diverse underserved communities to engage in bird-related recreation, education, science, and conservation activities in urban areas. The program is a collaborative effort between the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and partners in participating U.S. cities. Launched in 1999, the first treaty was signed with New Orleans and the second with Chicago in 2000. Since that time, an additional 28 cities have become urban bird treaty cities. And they are thinking about bringing it to Louisville. So this could be a great opportunity for you to learn more about how to support our urban birds. And again, it's virtual, it's online, and no pre-registration is required. You can find the link to join on Tuesday at 4 p.m. at louisville.edu slash sustainability. 
Also on Tuesday, April 12th, just after that, Simmons College and the Courier Journal are co-hosting a mayoral candidate forum. They're going to have Republican candidates in a forum at 5 p.m. and then Democrats at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday. It'll be in person at Simmons College, which is right there at 1000 South 4th Street, and also be live streamed at courier-journal.com. What kind of mayor do you want for Louisville and how will you determine who gets your vote in the May 17th primary? Well, the Courier Journal and Simmons College of Kentucky are holding two mayoral forums, one for Republicans and one for Democrats on April 12th. The goal is to ask candidates the questions you want answered and to focus on topics that are most important to our community. There are 12 candidates for mayor, my friends, four Republicans and eight Democrats. All but one are participating in Tuesday's forum. You can read all about them and submit your questions at career-journal.com. Seating is limited and face masks are required. You must register to attend in person for each forum separately. And you can do that at tinyurl.com slash Republican Forum or tinyurl.com slash Democrat Forum. If you plan to attend both forums, just go ahead and register for each one. And again, you don't have to be there in person at Simmons College. You can watch live streamed at courier-journal.com. It's Tuesday at 5 p.m. for the Republicans and 6.30 p.m. for the Democrats. Also Tuesday, April 12th, just after that at 8 p.m., join me at the Streets for People Car-Free Happy Hour at Shop Bar on Barrett Avenue at Highland. The goal is to bring Yes in My Backyard, Yimby, and Urbanist types together to work to build a community of advocates. This time around, we'll be focusing some of the conversation on housing and land use reform. We've invited some Metro officials, local journalists, and housing advocates to come and talk with us about where reform issues stand currently and how money in the city's affordable housing trust fund is being spent. Forward Radio's proud community partner, Streets for People, is hosting these monthly meetups at various establishments around town on the second Tuesday of every month at 8 p.m. There's usually no agenda. This month's a little different and that we're focusing on housing, and there'll be rotating venues uh Everyone is welcome to come together to build the car-free urbanist community necessary to reclaim our streets from the violent tyranny of the private automobile. You can learn more at twitter.com slash streets, the number four peeps, P-E-E-P-S. Future dates are May 10th, June 14th, July 12th, August 9th, September 13th, and October 11th. But we hope to see you this Tuesday, April 12th at 8 p.m. at Shop Bar on Barrett Avenue. Now, coming up on Wednesday, April 13th, I'm really excited that students at UofL have organized a UofL divestment rally at noon at the SAC Clock Tower, hosted by the Student Sustainability Coalition, which urges the university to divest funds from fossil fuel fuels, policing, private prisons, and more. You can read and consider signing their petition online. Uh, the speakers include Shamika Parrish-Wright, a mayoral candidate and activist, Betsy Rui, metro candidate and founder of Orchards of Beachmont and Sustainable South Louisville, and our very first sustainability 
master's graduate at UofL, and also UofL student Ashanti Scott speaking on behalf of her mother, Representative Attica Scott. They'll have art supplies and signs on hand, and anyone is welcome to bring their own signage. You can learn more and find the link to read that petition at louisville.edu slash sustainability, or just coming out at noon on Wednesday at the Student Activities Center Clock Tower. Now, coming up on Thursday, April 14th in the evening at 6.30 p.m., the My Library U Fast class is focused on Behind the Lines, Redistricting and Gerrymandering Explained. It'll be at the main public library right across the alley from us here on York Street. The library's short courses and fast classes are taught like actual college courses by professors and experts in their fields, but they are open to anyone. They're free and no academic background is required. With the 2020 census in the books, both the city council and state legislature have worked to redraw district lines in Louisville and across our Commonwealth. Redistricting is mandated by the U.S. Constitution to reflect changes in population, but when does it become gerrymandering? What is the difference between that and simple redistricting. How can you have a voice in the process? Dee Pregliasco of the League of Women Voters and Dr. Charlie Zhang from the University of Louisville will examine the history of and current state of redistricting in Louisville and Kentucky, as well as the methods and science behind the lines. The course is free, but registration is required, and you can do so at lfpl.org. And it's Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at the main public library. If you just want to hang out at Highwire Brewing at Thursday at 6.30, you're welcome to do that because there'll be a Louisville Grows Seed Swap and Benefit Night at Highwire Brewing at 642 Baxter Avenue. Bring your seeds and have a beer. Louisville Grows is partnering with Highwire and the Louisville Seed Bank to get our plant-loving friends together for a spring seed swap. Don't worry if you have no seeds to share. We'll have plenty to give away. This is a great event to learn more about starting your garden and saving seeds for the next swap. The Louisville Seed Bank Project is a pilot program of Beargrass Thunder, who you've heard on this program, and Louisville Grows, that connects Louisvillans with the goal of teaching people to steward and preserve our native plants, as well as food crops, by saving and sharing seeds for the future. We're mindful of wealth and racial disparity and serve communities where they are best met. Eventually, we can find which seeds and cultivars of plants survive Louisville's wild temperature swings and withstand the urban heat island effect for a better harvest. You can learn more about the Seed Swap and Benefit Night at louisvillegrows.org or just come out on Thursday, 6.30 to 9 at High Wire Brewing on Barrett Avenue, Baxter Avenue. Now, Saturday, April 16th, is the Brightside Community-Wide Cleanup. It's a spring community-wide cleanup happening on Saturday. Be part of this citywide event to keep Louisville looking bright and beautiful and to keep all that plastic trash and out of our waterways. By, we encourage all residents to make a difference by taking part in our community-wide cleanup. It's a great service opportunity for all kinds of groups, sport teams, faith groups, community organizations, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, all that kind of stuff. Corporate teams are welcome too. Cleanups are an integral part of Brightside's mission, and without the help of our volunteer groups and many others throughout the year, Brightside could not achieve their goal of cleaner, greener Louisville. Neighborhoods can hold their own 
cleanups at any point throughout the year, and Brightside can provide gloves and bags for each neighborhood cleanup. They work with Solid Waste Management to have the collected litter bags picked up. So give them a call at 502-574-2613 or register online, usually about two weeks prior to the York Cleanup event to schedule your cleanup and for information about getting supplies. There's more at brightsideinc.org, brightsideinc.org, and it's this Saturday, April 16th. I know of one group for sure that is meeting uh, for the Brightside Community-Wide Spring Cleanup on Saturday at 10 a.m. at Mid-City Mall's parking lot by the Caravan Comedy Club. They'll be giving out the free cleaning supplies and T-shirts, and that is a project of the Highland Commerce Guild and Cassie Chambers Armstrong from Metro Council District 8. Now, the Seeds and Start Sale at Louisville Grows is also continuing on Saturday, April 16th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. in person at Louisville Grows' Greenhouse there at 1639 Portland Avenue. Louisville Grows' annual Seeds and Start Sale is filled with your favorite and unique veggies, herbs, fruit trees, berry bushes, native flowers, and other gardening needs. Seeds and Starts are planted and grown with love by our greenhouse volunteers. Each of our 100-plus varieties of plants are chosen for adaptability, biodiversity, diversity, beauty, and taste. Plants for, for any size garden or containers are available, and you can feel good about getting your locally grown low-cost plants at Louisville Grows Seeds and Start Sale because all proceeds from the sales support the Community Garden Grant Program. Friends of Louisville Gross also receive a 15% discount on these sale days, and you can learn more and become a member at louisvillegrows.org. And this Saturday, 10 a.m. to 4, is the first or the next one. It'll also continue on April 30th and May 14th, always 10 to 4 p.m. at the Louisville Gross Greenhouse at 1639 Portland Avenue. You can visit seedsandstarts.org for more information. Trees Louisville, Metro Parks, and Louisville Grows are also proud to announce the first annual Tree Fest coming up this Saturday. It's an event to celebrate all things trees. There will be volunteer opportunities, tree giveaways, demos, kids tree climbing, food, drinks, and many more activities for the whole family. And they need volunteers from 9.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. And you can volunteer to register at bestparksever.com. But if you just want to come out and enjoy it, it is this Saturday the 16th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Joe Creason Park, 1297 Trevilian Way Tree Fest 2022. We'll include, again, tree planting and tree giveaways, music, food trucks, vendor booths, guided nature walks, and kids tree climbing. Don't miss it on Saturday at Joe Creason Park. Now, I want to let you know, Monday, April 18th is the deadline to register to vote or update registration for the primary election that's coming up on Tuesday, May 17th that you just heard about. And some races will likely be decided on that day. If you have not yet registered or if your address has changed since you last voted, you'll need to register or update your voter registration by 4 p.m. on Monday the 18th. And that can be done online. Just go to the Secretary of State's website at S os.ky.gov. And finally, Monday's also the next in Project Warm's Energy Management Workshops, where you get valuable tips and techniques 
designed to help you reduce your gas, electric, and water bills throughout the entire year. Weatherization is important all year long, and we need you to help spread the word. These workshops are important even while the warmer months are ahead. So tell your friends and neighbors about these upcoming workshops and get in touch at projectwarm.org if you're part of an organization interested in hosting a workshop. And again, the next one is Monday the 18th, 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. at Louisville Central Community Center. One, uh, 1300 West Muhammad Ali Boulevard, and you can register for that by phoning 502-583-8822. More information is at projectwarm.org. That's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you all for tuning in. I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Be well.